couple of months ago, um, Norman emailed me to say, um, I need a subject to put on the newsletter. What are you going to talk about? And I said, I have not got a clue. Um, and so I spent the next week or so um, trying desperately to think of something. Um, Dad appears to have got the wrong end of the stick. He thought when I was going to talk about 21st century Christ- uh, Christians, I was going to start listing Peter, John, James, uh, and, and just reel off a list, but he's, he's not so much with the, with the smart. Um, really, the, the reason that we're talking about 21st century Christians this afternoon is, um, is a phrase that I hear every so often and that really grates on me. Um, it's the, the phrase, and I'm, I'm sure you hear this plenty yourselves, um, when you're talking about um, a Bible principle or, or, um, or something that you, you practice in your, your everyday life, some, some principle that you hold as important, and somebody says, yeah, but it's the 21st century, that doesn't really apply. Or you see in the news um, about, uh, it doesn't matter the, the, the specific topic, but maybe um, the headline will, or, or the, the, uh, the leading paragraph will, will talk about bringing the church into the 21st century. And it always, it always grates on me. It always makes me think that's that's wrong. That's the wrong way around. Um, and I wanted to spend just just a little bit of time this afternoon, um, thinking about that idea and considering um, what it what it really means and what we can do about it. It's why why it's important not to to try to bend Bible teaching um, to suit modern values. I suppose that's really on a on a church level changing changing teaching to fit. To, uh, to fit in with, with modern attitudes um, on a personal level I suppose it's better phrased um, why, we, why we shouldn't try to shoehorn Christianity into the lifestyle that we want because really that's the wrong way around it should be us um, living on a, a biblical foundation us building our lives around our faith as Christians and not building our Christianity around the foundation we've already laid in our lives and the reason for this, the reason that it shouldn't be that way around, um, is that God doesn't change. I'm not going to go to too many references this afternoon, um, but I'm going to turn to First Peter. I'll read everything that I'm going to, to turn to out, so don't feel the need to follow me there. Um, but if you do want to turn it up, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going. And it'll be a wee while for me to find it as well. So, why shouldn't we be changing the Bible message to suit our own circumstances or to suit the, the world around us. One very good reason is that God himself doesn't change and so his instructions to us and his message don't change. Um, first Peter, Peter's, Peter's first le- letter in the first chapter and let's go in at verse 22. He writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently, with a pure heart, having been born again, or baptised, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So man is, is very much a temporary thing. Um, we live our, our, our standard three score and ten years if we're lucky to get that far. Um, and we, we fade away, um, like the grass. 
are like flowers. We we're not um, we're not eternal, not now, um, but God is forever. God doesn't change. What God's told us doesn't change, and we have no place to try and bend what He's told us um, to suit our own needs. Being a Christian means, as as Uncle slash Brother slash Norman um, alluded to. Uh, in his, in his opening remarks, being a Christian means following Christ. It's about God and about Jesus. It's not about us. We don't come first. We should be serving God God's way and not trying to serve him um, in a way that suits us. And this is this is difficult for me, this is difficult for all of us, um, to try to put God first and not to try to fit him in around um, everything else that we are busy doing. God doesn't change, and his message doesn't change. So we shouldn't be changing how we serve him to suit our, our, our social or our cultural surroundings, to suit the, the world that we live in. I want to turn to, to our opening reading um, in, in 2 Timothy uh, and chapter 3. Now, the reason we started here is because I think it puts things very nicely. Um... I know I, I find some of some of the letters, um, and particularly some of Paul's writing, quite difficult to read because the sentences last for about a page. Um, but you, you you definitely find bits that jump out and really stick in your in your memory. And when you when you look through them, you can follow the logic that he's that he's putting forward. Um, there's a few things um, that I want to I want us to note from this this passage that we read together. Um, the first is, let's go in at, well, the, the obvious one, starting at verse 16 of chapter 3. Um, this is really why we started in this chapter. Um, Paul writes, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible that we have, the scripture that God's given us, Gives us the guidance that we need to be complete. It says the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All that we need to be told is in here. That's not to say that there's no advantage in in discussing it, in talking about it, in, in reading it, in taking it further. But what God's given us is a book um, to guide our lives. Jump up a, a couple of verses to verse 14. Um, He's, he's been talking about um, how the situation will get worse and how the, the world around Christians will become more hostile. And he says in verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He says continue in these things, these things that you've been taught, these things that you've learned. Um, and he's, he's speaking to Timothy, but the message can apply to, to us. Continue in the, the, the things that we know from the Bible, um, which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we're to continue with these things. We're to base what we have on the knowledge we have of the Bible and not to change it to suit our surroundings. He says in the, in the couple of verses before that, kind of working our way back up the, the chapter, um, 
Yes, in verse 12, And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the situation won't be easy. There will be persecution and there will be um, deception. There, there will be things that do not make life as a Christian easy. God doesn't ever tell us that life following Christ will be simple or straightforward or that it will be a smooth ride. He tells us it's going to be difficult. He tells us we're going to have enemies. He tells us people won't like it because of what we believe. And so we shouldn't be surprised when some of the things we're told in the Bible conflict with things that we're told by the world around us. When God's wisdom, which is to make you wise for salvation, doesn't match up with man's wisdom, with um, the understanding of man um, and and all his thoughts. And uh, in the, the first couple of verses of, of chapter 4, we find a really nice phrase which encapsulates what we're, what we're thinking about just now. In verse 2, he starts off with a really important point. In fact, we'll start at verse 1, because it's all together. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his, at his appearing and his kingdom. And he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And I think this very nicely sums up um, this, this situation we often find ourselves in, where we're encouraged to, to bend the interpretation of Scripture to suit um, the circumstances we're in. Itching ears is a, not a phrase that you hear often in the Bible. Um, in fact, I think it might be the only appearance of, of this word. But it, it literally means hearing what you want to hear. And that's so easy to do, isn't it? That's, that's such a, an easy mistake to make, to, to read a passage in the Bible, to take something out of context, not to consider it as a part of a, a greater whole, but to be swayed by one verse or to be swayed by one person's interpretation of that verse and to find ourselves all of a sudden taking the wrong direction from the, the one which God intended us to take, taking the wrong message from a passage um, without considering it fully. And so that's that's the pitfall for us to avoid really, isn't it? Um, and it's not something that's unique for us as Christians in the 21st century either. Um, this is... Um, this is something that um, Christians have struggled with ever since the time of Jesus. Um, people have been altering or um, skewing God's message to suit their own purpose for, for thousands and thousands of years, long before Christ ever came along. Um, a, a couple of exam examples to pick out for you. Um, no, we won't go there. Um, I don't have a, a specific verse to pick out. But number 16 talks about um, Korah, Dathan and Abiram. This is back in the time of Moses. Um, the children of Israel were um, wandering in the, in the wilderness. And certain, uh, certain of the people decided that they wanted to serve God on their terms. They didn't want to follow exactly the rules that he'd laid out for them. They wanted to um, serve him how they wished to serve him and not as God wished them to serve him. And so Korah, Dathan and Abiram um, made incense which they shouldn't have made. And they, they burned it. 
and they, they were trying to take matters into their own hands. They were trying to subvert the authority of, of Moses and Aaron, the, the people he had chosen, God had chosen, to, to lead the Israelites. And it did not end well for them. Um, they, were, they were destroyed um, in front of all the, all the people of Israel. They were made an example of. Um, and the, their motivation had been, had been power, really. Um, had been to try and wrest control of the people from from God's appointed leaders, and we're shown very very plainly that that's not the way we should be behaving. That we we serve God on God's terms, not on our own. Another example for you. Again, I won't turn to a, a particular passage. Um, the kings of Israel and Judah um, were. We we have many records throughout the the, the books of Kings and Chronicles. Um, but so often we hear, um, and such and such took the took the uh, control of the, the kingdom. Such and such became king after their father had died, or or, or whatever. Um, and they they may have ruled well, but the the phrase always repeated is the high places were not removed. The people still burnt incense on the high places. The the people were still effectively allowed <coughs> to worship idols, even if the the king in question had. Um, had the right approach and was keen to, to follow God, very often they would allow um, the people to continue serving idols if they wanted because it was an easier way to to manage them. If they were to destroy all idol worship, they would weaken their own power base. They would, uh, in, in modern terms, they would lose votes. Um, they would find it more difficult to control the people they ruled over. And so they compromised. And really that's what that's what this is about, this, this whole... Um, yes, but it's the 21st century now. It's it's about compromising our faith um, so as not to offend or displease the people around us. And that's a, it's a very difficult balance to strike. The Pharisees in the New Testament, um, again, countless records of the Pharisees who, perhaps with the right intentions, had taken the law and not necessarily misinterpreted but misapplied it. Um, they had not looked at the principles God was trying to teach them, but instead had had fixated on the minor details, on the the, the small things um, like tithing mint and and herbs and and making all the fulfilling every tiny little detail of the law, which, without quite fulfilling its purpose, which was to teach them to sacrifice everything, to to have everything um, sacred to God, and to have him in the centre of their lives. Moving on through uh, another few thousand years, um, or another another thousand years or so, um, that might be that might be havers. Let's go with hundreds. Um, Emperor Constantine. I'm, I'm I'm working my way through through history and picking things that jump out at me as examples of um, of God's message being being skewed or bent to, to match uh, an agenda that wasn't that wasn't for God's service. Um, the Emperor Constantine is famous as the the founder of the the, the Catholic Church really. Um, he in in the, the the time we often hear about him is in the foundation of Christmas as a as a festival, in the merging of, of pagan and Christian teaching in order to control population that was part Christian and part part pagan um, for, for purely political um, reasons in order to control these, these populations better 
he uh, he compromised the purity of the, the Christian faith in order to appease the pagans who also shared his empire. And uh, I, I suppose another example, um, this, these examples don't all come from my brain, they're uh, uh, brainstormed over the, the, the past couple of days. And one, one that jumped out was um, in the translation of the Bible in the, in the 17th century into English um, by, by Mr Tyndale and co. Um, something that we often often hear of is in the, the authorised version of the King James Version of the Bible, the root word love is often translated charity. And the reason typically given is that it was translated charity instead of love to encourage people to give more money to the church. Um, now, I, I wasn't there, I, I don't know, but uh, taking that on at face value, it seems a very cynical way of skewing God's word to match, uh, maybe not personal agendas, but um, agendas which are not purely for God's service. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? To read something in the Bible and to take it out of context, to take it in a way that benefits us and not the benefits or service of God. And so now, um, 2,000 years after Jesus lived um, and died and was resurrected, um, we have Christianity in its current form. And it's a bit, uh, it's a bit fragmented, isn't it? Um, there are countless branches, there are countless denominations, many of whom hate each other. Um, it's not a, it's not a, a tidy continuation. Christianity is, has, uh, has changed over the past two thousand years, um, in many different ways, and in some cases, um, it's been marginalised or, or demonised. And in fact, in our, in our world today, um, in a, in a, in a world where terrorism is a constant threat and, and religious hatred is a, a growing problem, um, Christianity and, and religion as a whole are often um, pointed at as the, the, the source of these problems, um, as the reason uh, why people kill each other and commit atrocities. Um, and so it's difficult, like Paul said in, in Timothy, um, it's difficult to be a Christian. It's not, not easy and it doesn't always match what people around us are thinking. The UK, although still nominally um, and legally a Christian country, is, is broadly secular now. Um, the uh, it's, it's sometimes quoted that the the only remaining country proud to be Christian or proud to identify as a Christian country is the United States of America, and yet this is a country where they have written into their constitution um, provisions to make sure that the the church can never ever be involved with lawmaking, and that the state and church are completely separate. Um, we live more or less in a secular society, a society which isn't really interested in religion. And so it's, it's harder and harder than ever to keep our focus on the Bible and not to compromise um, to fit in with the people around us. There are plenty of distractions for us as well. Um, plenty of replacements for faith and for God. An awful lot to occupy our minds and to keep us busy. Um, again, uh, talking to Paul, uh, my, my younger brother, one of his favourite examples, or not favourite examples, but one of the things that strikes him most, I suppose, is the, uh, even in the last more years than he's been alive, um, let's go with the last 20-odd years, um, sport, um, sport 
technically takes takes place on a Sunday. Sundays have gone from being the day where everybody went to church to being the day that everybody stays in and watches football or rugby or um, or goes to a game. Sport is no longer um, God's day in general society. It's no longer observed as a, a holy day. Um, it tends to be taken over by things that we want to do, things that we enjoy. Um, and so in a sense, sport has become an idol. Um, entertainment, the media has become a replacement for um, time spent thinking about God. And that's quite sobering to think of. I, I enjoy watching sport. I like watching a game of rugby. I, I, I enjoy um, doing that kind of thing. And it's, it's quite sobering to think how easily it can replace our time spent thinking about our faith and about what we ought to be doing as, as followers of Christ, as Christians. And so I suppose today we have um, we ha- we have empty Christians. We have many people in this world who um, call themselves Christians, um, but for whom their lifestyle is more of a priority. Um, another another way of putting it is your, is your Christmas and Easter Christians, um, who maybe go to church once or twice a year, um, and don't see it as a central part of their lives. It's missing the point, isn't it? They, they want to make sure they're covered for when they die, so they still get a pass into heaven, but they're not willing to put the effort into to actually live the life that Christ has asked us to, and to actually spend the time um, behaving as we ought to behave as followers of Christ. And a warning to us, Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will will enter in. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian will um, will have life in his kingdom. I suppose one big thing for us in the, in the 21st century, um, we're, we're talking about issues that crop up a lot in, in this century, um, and I suppose in the last, in the, in the 20th. Uh, I've, I've been around for more of the 21st than I have of the 20th, so it's easy for me. Um, but I suppose two of, the, two of the biggest issues that we've, seen in the news that we've had discussed um, and really have brought religion to the forefront in, in, the, in this century so far um, have been um, really about gender. Um, the big issue that has been all over the news in the past few years is the ordination of women bishops in various different branches of Christianity around the world, um, of the, the, the place of, of women and men in the church. And how we how we ought to behave because ever since the, the the French Revolution, liberty, equality, and fraternity have been the the cornerstones of of civilized society, I suppose as as we'd see it, um, of of modern um, society. And so, a Bible which doesn't appear to fully endorse liberty, equality, and fraternity is is a difficult thing to swallow for many people around us. Um, I'm not going to go into them at length, but we had a good route through the boxes in the back earlier, and there's a couple of useful leaflets, um, the first of which is about women priests. If you want any more information, um, I had a quick quick flick through, and um, the arguments presented make a lot of sense. Um, They're they're very helpful um, if you want to look further at that topic. But it's a big issue that's facing the church around us, and really it's because... Um, these churches are, are trying to make sure that they don't offend anybody, that um, 
that they are seen to be to be equal. Um, using using verses such as "There is neither man nor woman, slave nor free, um, Jew nor Greek," out of context, um, to to make the argument that there should be no distinction between man and woman in God's church, um, when in fact that that message should be um, that God is offering salvation to everybody, but He's given us different roles, different things to do, different different jobs to, to fulfil in his church. The other big issue that's really beyond the on the forefront of, of Christian publicity in the in the past sixteen years um, is homosexuality. Again, got lucky there's a there's a leaflet in the back um, which has a lot of information which helps put forward the, the biblical principles um, behind these issues um, and present a a discussion on how we ought to approach these topics. Um, it's difficult because, again, the world around us is very, very intent on everything being um, being equal. Homosexuality is a much more um, prevalent topic. It's a much bigger issue now, um, certainly a much more public issue now than it ever has been. Um, and it's very difficult for, for churches to, to take a stand. We, we're forever seeing on the news things like um, businesses being taken to court for uh, not being willing to serve homosexual customers and this kind of thing um, for reasons of faith um, for reasons of conscience and it's, it's very difficult to stand up um, in that kind of situation and stick to the principles that were taught in the Bible it's very easy to have scripture warped to enable us to conform to society and not to do things the other way around to make sure that we base our lives on scripture and everything else follows after. It's not to say nothing should ever change. Um, many uh, many churches and religions, our own included, have teachings and customs from when they started, um, which may well, in cases, be, out, be outdated or archaic. Uh, many Christian churches, their traditions are, are pretty medieval, um, which is why they seem so alien um, to, to many people in the world. Even a lot of things we do as Christadelphians are, are rooted in Victorian origins when the Christadelphian movement started. So there's plenty of things that we, we do um, in, our, in our worship and in the way we behave which are more based on our, our church foundations than purely on scripture. It's not to say that nothing should ever change, that we shouldn't have different ways of worshipping, different cultures, different traditions. We've got to be careful not to alter our core teachings. We've got to be careful not to, to try and change the Bible to suit what we want to do and what we want to see see happen. I suppose the main thrust of this is that God's message doesn't change. We read that in, in Peter. Um, God's message doesn't change. It should be changing us. So to finish off, um, I want to to turn to a passage that helps helps take that a little bit further. Because we've really got two questions. What What is that message? What is the, the message of God that doesn't change? And how should it change us as, as Christians in the 21st century? How should we be responding to the challenges that we've talked about? Well, from the 21st, let's go right back to the 1st century in Acts chapter 2. Um, because Peter... In his, in his speech to, 
the people in Jerusalem gives us a fairly nice potted summary. Um, and it can be very helpful for us to, to read his words. So God's message doesn't change. It should change us. And we're looking at what that message is and how it should be changing us. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. So Peter's in the middle of, of speaking to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Um, he's talking to them about Jesus. And he says to them in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to God, to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This, in, in a nutshell, is a large part of God's message to us. Jesus was a man from God. He did many wonderful things through the power of God. He was killed by, and he was crucified by, um, by men who hated him for crimes he did not commit. And he was raised up because death couldn't hold him. He didn't deserve it. And that's, that's where our hope comes from. That's our example and that's our, that's our sacrificial lamb. That's why we are here today, because we follow Christ, because what he's done for us and what he's allowed us to, to take part in, the promise that he's allowed us to be heirs to, um, is enormously important. Jump down a couple of verses to, to verse 36. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we've had the message, now how should it be changing us? What should we be doing as 21st century Christians? Or as 1st century Christians in this case? He says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So fundamentally that's where we should be changing. We should be choosing to follow Christ. And once we've made that step, what do we do next? Well, the next few verses in Acts 2 have a lot of information about the things that these that this early church did this this first beginnings of a church in Jerusalem um, in verse 41 those who gladly received his word were baptised and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and a, an incredible number of people were baptised and, and began forming the first church in Jerusalem and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And verse 46, So continuing with one accord daily in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people daily. Sorry, with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what did those people do once their lives had been changed by baptism into Christ? They stuck together. 
and that's a lesson to us, isn't it? They, they, uh, they met together regularly. They broke bread together. They remembered Jesus together. They read their scriptures together. They helped one another out. And they shared time together. And all the time they were encouraging each other, upbuilding each other, uplifting each other, and sharing the hope that they had of life in the kingdom. And so I want us to go back to, to Second Timothy just to finish. It's words that we've already read. Um, but there's no harm in reading them again. Because this is this is the core the core message. Second Timothy three and verse sixteen to finish up with. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is all that we need to to guide us. It's, it's what we need to tell us about God and about Jesus and what they've done for us and what they continue to do for us and what they've promised to do for us in the future. With the scripture that we've been given by God, we can be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have the toolkit that we need um, to to serve God. And now we have to put it into practice. We know how easy it is to bend the message to suit our own our own intended lifestyle or to, to suit the world around us. But we must always come back to this. We must always come back to the Bible to, to read it, to learn from it, and to check anything um, that we find to confirm that what we're doing and what we intend to do and what's been done around us is in line with what God's asked us to do in his Bible. So, next time you hear, um, yes, but it's the 21st century, that doesn't matter or that doesn't apply, or next time you hear of um, efforts to, to bring the, the church into the 21st century, maybe, maybe you'll remember um, how easy it is for us to compromise what we believe to suit what goes on around us. And perhaps it will be, be helpful to think about how important it is that we don't fall into that trap. Um, that we don't have itchy ears, that we don't um, hear what we want to hear and go the way we want to go instead of turning to God for, for guidance and living in the way that he's asked us to.